when you do something that feels important at the minute, but really is not, that is a much more dangerous form of distraction because you have allowed distraction to trick you into prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. No, let's talk about what's going on right now. And let's break the conversation into two pieces. The first part I'd love to quiz you on is focus. How do we stay focused? And the second part I'd love to get your insights on is procrastination. What can we do despite the situation to start working on the things that truly matter? Yeah, absolutely. So let's think about this in a systematic way. And the first place to start is to understand what is distraction? What is really distraction? What are we talking about when we use this term? The best way to understand what distraction is, is to understand what distraction is not. So think for a second, what is the opposite of distraction? Most people will tell you it's focus, but that's not exactly right. That the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. So if you look at the source of both words, traction and distraction, they both come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And if you notice, both words end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do, pulls you towards your values, pulls you towards becoming the person you want to become. Now, the opposite of traction is distraction, any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do, anything that pulls you away from your values, pulls you away from becoming the person you want to become. So this is a really important dichotomy. And the reason this is so important is that we have to understand that anything can be traction or distraction. Any action can be either of those two things. Let me give you an example. One of the most pernicious forms of distraction is when we sit down at our desk and we say, okay, now I'm gonna focus. Now I'm gonna do what I say I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get to work. I'm not gonna procrastinate. Here I go, but let me just check email real quick, right? How often does that happen to us? We say we're gonna do one thing. We say we're gonna get to work and yet here we are on email or let me just check the news real quick. That's part of being an informed citizen, right? Or, or let me just do this one thing. Let me check the Slack channel or do the easy thing on my to-do list. And that, my friends, is the most harmful form of distraction. Why? Because when you're playing a video game, when you should be at work, if you're checking Facebook while you should be completing something, that's a clear, obvious distraction. Everybody knows they're getting distracted when that happens. But when you do something that feels important at the minute, but really is not, that is a much more dangerous form of distraction because you have allowed distraction to trick you into prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important. And that's what's happening right now. That people think, oh, I have to stay on top of what's happening in the news every five minutes, which comes at the expense of doing what is really important right now. So anything can become a distraction. And conversely, anything can be traction. So if you want to watch a movie on Netflix to take your mind off of what's going on right now, if you want to play a video game, if you want to do something that is not worky and productive that's okay as long as you do it with intent. So technology is not evil here, right? Technology is a godsend in this point in time, as long as we use it with intent. Okay, so that's very, very important. We have to define what is traction and what is distraction for us in every minute of our day. And we'll get back to how to do that in just a minute. Now, the other two parts 
of becoming indistractable have to do with triggers. Now, triggers are things that prompt us to action. And those actions can either be traction or distraction. Now, the two things that prompt us towards traction or distraction are what we call the external triggers or the internal triggers. External triggers, this is what everybody tends to blame when they get distracted or when they procrastinate. It's about the pings, the dings, the rings, anything in our outside environment that leads us towards traction or distraction, right? So this can be your phone, your computer, your kids even can all be external triggers. Now, there are ways that we can hack back those external triggers, which we can talk about in a minute. But the first place to really begin our journey to becoming indistractable is not with the external triggers, but rather with the internal triggers. This is the most important place to start because the internal triggers are things that prompt us to action, not from outside of us, but rather the truth that I learned in these five years of research is that distraction begins from within. And this is a really, really important point because if we want to understand why we get distracted, we have to start with a deeper question, a real first principles question, which is not only why do we get distracted, but why do we do anything and everything? What is the nature of human motivation? Now, most people will tell you that motivation is about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. This is what Freud called the pleasure principle. But it turns out this isn't actually true, that in reality, what is happening inside our brains is not about the desire to pursue pleasure and avoid pain, but rather Everything you do, and this is a fundamental point, we have to all understand this, everything we do is about the desire to escape discomfort. Okay, let me say that again. Everything you do, you do for one reason, and that is the desire to escape discomfort, even the desire to feel good. Okay, listen carefully. Even when you pursue pleasure, that is itself psychologically destabilizing. Wanting, craving, lusting. There's a reason we say love hurts. Because neurologically, that is exactly what is happening in the brain. So what does this all mean? If that is true, that all human behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort, we can boil that understanding down to this fundamental mantra, that time management is pain management. Let me say that again. Time management is pain management. So it doesn't matter what new life hacks you're using or what productivity techniques you're using, if fundamentally... Everything you do is about this desire to escape discomfort. If you do not control that discomfort and manage it in a healthier manner, you will always be distracted by one thing or another. So that is the first place to begin, is about mastering the internal triggers. That's so intriguing. But what about, for example, in this time right now, I'm seeing a lot of acts of kindness, a lot of people supporting people. Is that still, when we are being generous, when we are being kind, I'm just wondering, but is that also an attempt to escape discomfort? Absolutely, absolutely. So even the desire to feel good by helping others is itself spurred by discomfort. When you see our brave healthcare professionals struggling right now, reusing equipment, reusing face masks, this hurts, right? This is uncomfortable to see. It's awful. It makes us feel guilty. It makes us want to do something to help. And so that's a great example of why feeling bad is not bad. We have to embrace the discomfort. One of the things that drives me crazy about the self-help industry is that too many people tell us that we're supposed to be happy all the time, that we're supposed to be contented, 
that that should be our goal. And that is rubbish. That is not a realistic goal. And in fact, our bodies and brains are not designed to be happy all the time. Case in point, we need to feel discomfort in order to spur us to take productive action. And so what we need to do is to not shun that discomfort, but to listen to it. Our emotions are signals. A lot of people are ruminating on the fact that they feel bad right now. I feel so bad. I feel so stressed. And then what they're doing is creating this rumination cycle, which makes them feel worse about feeling worse. And so that doesn't make anything better. We have to listen to these signals and act upon them so that they can lead us towards healthful traction rather than harmful distraction. Now, how do we do that? How do we take the feelings that are feelings of discomfort and how do we use these feelings to get our focus back? Yes. Okay. So the first step to mastering the internal triggers is to understand we only have two potential choices. When it comes to mastering internal triggers, we can only do one of two things. We can either change the source of the discomfort, meaning do something when we can, but for things that we cannot do anything about, there's those uncomfortable sensations, and this is just part of being a human being, feeling those uncomfortable internal triggers, when we are not able to do something about them, we have to learn tactics to cope with that discomfort in a healthier manner. So a lot of people these days, unfortunately, make it sound like mindfulness and meditation is the solution to everything. And those are great solutions when it comes to the type of discomfort we can't do anything about. They're wonderful options. They're tools in our toolkit. But where we can act, where we can do something about the problem, we should. And I see far too many people telling me how I'm meditating, I'm being mindful, and yet I'm still really stressed because they haven't taken the action to actually fix things in their life that are causing them this stress and discomfort. And so that's how we have to bifurcate our choices here. What can we do something about and what are we powerless to change? And use these tactics to cope with discomfort in a healthier manner where we cannot change the source of discomfort, but to make sure that we act where we can. So where we can act is really up to you. That depends on your life circumstances. And there's a lot of tips I can give you in the next three steps to becoming indistractable about how you can regain control of your time and attention in your life. And we can talk about some of these more practical steps in just a minute. But let me talk about what about those sensations we can't necessarily change the source of. So let me just give you a couple of really practical techniques that I find to be very effective. And by the way, I read a lot of of books. And one of the things I really don't like about a lot of books out there is that either they're very anecdotal or very academic. And so everything in my book, not only does it work because I've used them on myself and I've interviewed hundreds of people who utilize these techniques, but also everything is backed by peer-reviewed studies. So there's about 30 pages of citations in the back of my book from academic journals that cite these techniques. And one of the techniques I didn't invent, but I think everyone should know about, is called the 10-minute rule. And here's how the 10-minute rule works. Have you heard about the 10-minute rule before? No, I have not you are going to love this technique. Here's how it works. When we find that we get tempted by a distraction, an action that pulls us away from what we know we want to do, that pulls us away from living out our values and being the kind of person we want to be, when we find ourselves tempted, whether it's by that piece of chocolate cake we know we shouldn't have, the cigarette we're trying to not smoke, checking the news when we want to focus on our work, being fully present with our kids as opposed to checking our phones, Whenever we are tempted by one of those distractions, what we want to do 
is to say to ourselves, I can give into that distraction in just 10 minutes. Okay. In 10 minutes. Now, this technique has been shown to be much more effective than strict abstinence. You see, many people, when they feel a craving, they tell themselves, no, don't do it. And it turns out that this can actually backfire for many behaviors, not for all behaviors. Some behaviors, strict abstinence is a good idea, but for behaviors that you cannot avoid because the triggers are everywhere. So particularly when it comes to food and technology, you can't excise these things from your life completely. You have to learn how to manage those sensations. And it turns out that when we tell ourselves a strict hard no, it's almost like pulling on a rubber band. You know, if you pull on a rubber band, you pull, 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 pull until you can't pull anymore. And when you let go of the rubber band, it doesn't just go back to where it started. No, it ricochets across the room. And that sensation of telling ourselves, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Okay, fine, I'll give in. Remember, as we said earlier, everything we do is about a desire to escape discomfort. So when you do that process of resisting and then giving in finally, you are actually reinforcing the behavior you're trying to not do because it has relieved the pain of telling yourself not to do it. This is much more addictive than the nicotine in the cigarettes or the algorithms behind the apps. It's the sensation of telling ourselves not to do it without knowing how to disarm that discomfort of telling ourselves no. So instead of using this strict abstinence technique, which has been shown to backfire and make us want to do that thing even more, here's what we do instead. When we feel that temptation, when we feel that itch, the internal trigger, what we want to do is to set a timer for 10 minutes. I'll pick up my phone, I'll say, set a timer for 10 minutes, I'll put my phone down, and my job is to do one of two things for those 10 minutes. Either I can return to whatever task I said I was going to do, writing, being with my child, whatever it might be, whatever task I decided I wanted to do without distraction, I can either get back to that task at hand, or my job is to sit with that sensation for a few minutes. And instead of becoming contemptuous, you want to become curious. Now, what does that mean? Many people, when they face distraction, procrastination, they fall into one of two categories. We call them the blamers or the shamers. The blamers blame things outside themselves. Ah, it's Facebook doing it to me. It's my iPhone. Or I hear this all the time. It's the modern world these days. The problem with being a blamer is that you're powerless. You can't do anything about that stuff, right? You're not gonna change the world. You don't have a time machine to go back to some mythical time. You can't do that. And so that technique is baseless. It makes no sense. You can't do anything about blaming others. The other extreme is what we call the shamer. The shamer doesn't blame things outside themselves. They shame themselves. They say, oh, you know, there I go, getting distracted again. I have such a short attention span. There must be something wrong with me. I always do this. They shame themselves by being a bully with this self-talk. And I used to do this all the time. And of course, that doesn't help either because studies find that the more shame we feel, the worse we feel, and therefore, the more internal triggers we feel and the more likely we are to seek escape from that internal trigger, from that uncomfortable emotional state. So we don't want to be blamers. We don't want to be shamers. We want to be what we call claimers. Claimers claim responsibility, not for their feelings. You have to understand this. We cannot control how we feel. Feelings are just urges. We can't control the urge to sneeze, right? What you can do is decide what you will do in response, hence the term responsibility, to that urge. 
Are you going to sneeze all over everyone and get them sick? Or are you going to sneeze into a, a handkerchief? Are you going to let your emotions get the best of you? Or are you going to deal with them in a healthful manner? So claimers claim responsibility for what they do in response to those sensations. So instead of giving in to the distraction, we set a timer for 10 minutes and we say, I will allow myself to give in to that distraction in just 10 minutes of doing what we call surfing the urge, sitting with that sensation, getting curious about it, just being fully present with it. And what you will find that nine times out of 10, that that desire ebbs and flows just like a wave. And so our job is to surf that wave like a surfer on a surfboard. And what you will find is nine times out of 10, you will get back to the task at hand before those 10 minutes are up. That's so fascinating. So fascinating. Because I find that when I'm working on an intense project, maybe getting a piece of writing done, and I know it's going to be an eight-hour haul, I do get these urges sometimes to just get away from my computer and go watch something on Netflix. I've always felt guilty about that, but I really like how you have positioned it. Take that 10 minutes, set a timer, and go ahead and play with that urge. And it is interesting because in certain situations where I have used that technique, before the 10 minutes have elapsed, I felt like going back to writing. Yes, exactly. Because in the moment, what people don't remember about emotions is that emotions crest and then they subside. We think when we're feeling this sensation, it's going to last forever. But that's never the case with emotions. Emotions come and go like waves. And so if you can ride that wave, if you can surf the urge, you'll get to the other side of it. It's amazing. It takes almost no time. Sometimes it's just a couple minutes of you know what? I'm feeling really anxious and uncertain about what's going on in the world. Let me just sit with that sensation for just a minute or two. And after 60 seconds, maybe two minutes, you'll find you'll be ready to get back to work as opposed to, oh, I need a break. Let me go watch Netflix or let me go check Facebook or let me just check the news. We never do that for a minute. It ends up being 15, 20, 30 minutes, maybe an hour. And now we didn't get done what we wanted to get done. But this is actually a really good segue into the second step to becoming indistractable. By the way, the first step, mastering internal triggers, the 10-minute rule is just one of many, many techniques that I describe in the book, Indistractable. That's just the tip of the iceberg. But I think for the sake of time, I want to segue into the second step, which is about making time for traction. Because a lot of people have this perception that if you watch Netflix, if you watch something on YouTube, if you're on Facebook, you're somehow cheating. You're not being productive. You're not being a good person. You're slacking off. And somehow this technology is evil. That is not true. It is just not true. And in fact, right now we see how helpful these technologies can be for us. The difference between using these technologies in a way that serves us as opposed to us serving it is using them with intent. So the second step to becoming indistractable is about making time for these tasks. So you can turn any distraction into traction in one easy step. The easy step is to simply plan when you will partake in that behavior. So if you enjoy watching movies on Netflix, wonderful, plan time for it. If you wanna play video games, if you wanna go on a walk, if you want to meditate, pray, paint, whatever it is you wanna do, if you simply plan ahead when you want to do that task, it's now suddenly traction as opposed to distraction. It's traction as opposed 
to distraction. I like that. I like that. Now, you know, when so many people in that recent poll I did said that procrastination was an issue, how do you understand that? Like, what do you think are people experiencing? Yeah, I think what's going on is we have more internal triggers to deal with than we did a month ago. That as opposed to the everyday internal triggers of stress and anxiety, now we have this massive load of uncertainty around what's going to happen with my job, what's going to happen with my health, what's going to happen to the health and security of my friends and family. So now there's this added dose of uncertainty in our lives related to the coronavirus. And so the increase of worry has created more internal triggers for us to need to escape from. And so for many people, the way they escape from that discomfort is with distraction and procrastination. Remember, procrastination is not a character flaw. A lot of people think that there's something wrong with them when they procrastinate. It's a universal trait. Everyone does this from time to time. But we have to understand that this is not a character flaw. It's simply an inability to deal with discomfort. That's all procrastination is. Fundamentally, it is an emotion regulation problem. But the good news is that for the vast majority of us, we can learn techniques to deal with that discomfort in a healthier manner. It's just that we haven't acquired those techniques. For most of us, the confluence of more internal triggers plus the ability to distract ourselves so easily because we all have these technologies at our fingertips, it's easier than ever if you are looking for distraction to find it. So we need to upgrade our skill set. So what you're saying there is that uncertainty right now becomes a form of distraction. It makes us want to get off what we're doing, check the news. And I wonder if this is correct, but it almost seems as if checking the news, getting in family WhatsApp groups to share the latest information on coronavirus, I think maybe we justify that by saying we're keeping ourselves informed, but really many people could be overdoing that. That's right. The internal trigger is that prompt of worry, stress, fatigue, uncertainty. It's those uncomfortable sensations that we turn to distraction and procrastination as a mental escape, as opposed to using that discomfort in a healthier manner, right, to figure out what to do. So there are really three steps to getting through uncertain times, times when there's a lot of change in the world. The first thing we have to do is to determine. I call this the three Ds, by the way. The first step is to determine to figure out what is going on in the world, what's changed. The second step is to decide. The third step is to do. So determine, decide, and do. Now, the ultimate goal of these three steps is to do, right? The reason we're collecting all this information, the reason we are keeping abreast of what's happening in the world, ultimately should be to know if we have to do something differently in our lives. But the irony is that so many people right now get stuck in step one. All they do is try and collect more information, trying to determine what's going on in the world, and this can drive us crazy because it doesn't lead to action. So instead of what you want to do, the solution to this is to schedule the time to determine what's changed in the world with intent. So as opposed to going and checking the news whenever you feel fearful and uncertain and anxious, internal triggers, instead put those things on your calendar. Okay, every day after dinner, from six o'clock to eight o'clock, that's my time to read the news. Don't let it spill into your entire day. Because now what we're doing is we're using a technique called time boxing, which has been shown to be an incredibly effective technique. Thousands of peer-reviewed studies have found that simply planning out what you are going to do and when you are going to do it 
is a very effective way to make sure you don't go off track. So give yourself time to check the news, to talk with friends, to go on Facebook, whatever it is you want to do, but make sure you are time boxing that time in your day. And so the best thing you can do for yourself and for your children is to get on a schedule. Plan in advance how you want to spend your time. And if you have kids at home, this is something that we did starting it with my daughter at five years old. We sat down together and we said, you know, as I mentioned, we homeschool. We've been homeschooling for many years now. We sat down together and involved her in figuring out how do we want to spend our time and then coordinating our days together so that when she's doing her schoolwork, that's when I'm getting my work done. So she doesn't constantly need me throughout the day. The same goes with my wife, right? So that we don't constantly interrupt each other over every little thing. We coordinate our schedules so that everyone can get the time in their day they need to be at their best. So that's step two that comes down to making time for traction. Very, very important second step. Okay. Determine, decide, and do. So time boxing, is that in the decide step? All of this requires time boxing. Even the deciding and the doing also should be time box. So time boxing is the macro step. How we make decisions in uncertain times, that has to do with these three Ds of determine, decide, and do. Maybe I'll go just a moment more into those three Ds because I think it's so pertinent right now as people's lives are in, in such flux. So the determined phase is when we collect more information. Okay, so we can schedule time in our day to collect information because you know there's diminishing return to collecting more and more and more information ad nauseum. At some point, we're not actually collecting more information. We're just trying to distract ourselves from the discomfort we feel by looking for answers where we will not find answers. So we need some time to determine what's changed in the world. The second step is to decide. And when I say decide, I want you to be intentional about this too. A lot of people, if they do go to step three, many times they skip step two of deciding. They just go to the doing phase. I read some piece of information, I'm gonna sell all my stocks. I uh, read something online, I'm gonna get this new job, or I'm gonna, I don't know, whatever it might be. They just jump straight to the doing phase. What I want you to spend a little time doing, especially in this uncertain time, is to log your decisions. Keep what we call a decision journal. And this can be just a few sentences of, I have decided to make this change, to do this thing, and I want you to write down that decision. There's a permanence that goes along with writing it down. It helps you think through whether you do have enough information to make that decision and what information you might be missing still, if there's anything missing. And most importantly, it helps you learn to become a better decision maker. You know, when you can look back and say, oh, you know what? I changed my mind from a decision I made two weeks ago. When you have that log, that decision journal of why you change your mind on something, whether it's a business decision, a relationship decision, a life decision, looking back on that decision and understanding why you decided to do what you said you were going to do can help give us the feedback to make better decisions in the future or remind us about something we may have forgotten that affected why we made that decision in the past. And then finally is the do phase, right? So this is where we actually turn this decision into action where we actually make that change. And this, of course, also needs to be on our schedule, time to carry out whatever decision we are deciding to make. Extremely useful. So again, the response I'm getting from our audience is the problem is distraction, okay? It's how can I stay focused? And what that ultimately means when they ask that is that they are trying to overcome distraction. And you've given us a solution to that. Determine, decide, do. And then there was also the 10 minute, giving yourself 10 minutes to allow yourself to be distracted, to go do that thing that's distracting you and then come back. 
No, 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 no. So <laughs> it's to keep yourself on task for 10 minutes and then you can give into that distraction. The advice is not go watch Netflix for 10 minutes and then come back. No, 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 that would defeat the purpose. Instead, what I want you to do is to surf the urge for 10 minutes. And if you still have the desire, then you can give into it, but not until you've waited 10 minutes. But then, okay, let's say we give into the desire. How do we go back to what we are meant to be focused on? That's okay. If you just say to yourself, I really feel like checking the news right now when you want to spend that time writing. Okay, you can give in to that in 10 minutes, not right now, in 10 minutes. And what you find is 90% of the time, you will not desire at the end of those 10 minutes to go check the news. And if you still desire it, do it. It's okay, smoke the cigarette, eat the chocolate cake. But what you're doing is you're practicing this skill of delaying gratification. That's what the 10 minute rule is all about, okay? I am proving to myself that I can wait. And what you're doing is you're developing what we call self-efficacy. That, ah, I can do what I said I'm gonna do. I said I'm gonna wait for 10 minutes, I did it. I didn't give into that distraction in 10 minutes. And what you find 90% of the time, you don't even crave that thing anymore. You're back to writing. You're back to doing what you said you would do within those 10 minutes. So that's a beautiful tip to stay focused. Now, as we come to the end of this, what would be your advice on procrastination? How do we overcome procrastination? Right. So procrastination is one form of distraction. Procrastination is delaying something that you said you would do. Now, one of the reasons, and I'll give you a very, very practical tip here, to-do lists are probably hurting you. I hate to-do lists. And I'm really killing a sacred cow here because in the self-help productivity industry, everybody tells you to get things done, make a to-do list. And I'm here to tell you, most people don't realize that to-do lists are killing their productivity. Why? Because when you make a to-do list and don't get done everything you said you would do, you are reinforcing your identity as someone who doesn't get things done. Let me tell you what used to happen in my life. I would have a to-do list. I'd have 100 things on that to-do list because that's what the productivity gurus tell you to do. Keep a to-do list. That's how we get things done. And then every day, several things on that to-do list would get recycled from one day to the next, to the next, to the next. And so every day, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, I was reinforcing and making it okay for me to not do what I said I was going to do. I was training myself to make it acceptable to not do what I said I would. So when I got to the end of my day and I didn't do what I said I would do, yet another day passed where I didn't carry out my promise to myself, loser. And so that self-image begins to affect your psyche. You begin to accept the fact that you're just not gonna do what you said you're going to do. And when you cross that threshold, it is totally toxic to your productivity because you've accepted the fact that you don't do what you say you're going to do. You are lying to yourself. And so we have to break that habit. We have to break that practice. Instead of keeping a to-do list, what I want people to do is to use a time-boxed calendar. Now, how does this work? The reason a time-boxed calendar is so much more effective is that with a time-boxed calendar, and I'll give you a link for the show notes, I built this free tool. Anybody can use it. You don't have to sign up for anything. You know, It's totally free on my website. It's nearandfar.com backslash schedule hyphen maker, or you can use any calendar for that matter, a piece of paper, or you can use any calendar tool. The idea here is that you're going to set a period of time where you are going to work on whatever it is you say you're going to do for as long as you said you would without distraction. That's your only goal. Your goal should not be to finish anything. Wait a minute, what do you mean near not finish anything? How am I gonna get my work done if I don't plan to finish anything? 
This is what is so bad about to-do lists. You see, to-do lists are a register of output. But think logically for a minute. If you want to get output, you have to have input. Well, what is the input? Time. So a to-do list is a wish list. And so instead of keeping a to-do list, which you can do very temporarily, right? If something goes on your to-do list, it immediately, as soon as possible, needs to go onto your calendar. Instead of saying, I'm going to finish this, finish that, finish that, which you know won't happen. Studies have shown people are terrible at predicting how long a task will take. Instead, what you want to do is to simply block out that time to work on that task for as long as you said you would without distraction, regardless of whether you finish. Now, why is this so effective? Because it turns out time studies find that people who use this technique and don't care if they finish, all they care about is working on the task without distraction, they finish more than the people who keep to-do lists. That's so funny. I have not used a to-do list in maybe three or four years, and sometimes I felt guilty about it. But what I do have is a calendar that is jam-packed with segmented slots to actually get things done. There you go. Turns out two-thirds of people don't keep any sort of a calendar, their entire day is meetings and phone calls and kids and you know no calendar whatsoever. So that's two-thirds of people. And frankly, it's hard for me to still have sympathy for those folks because here's the thing. You have no right to call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Let me say that again. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So you can't say I got distracted if you can't show me on your calendar what it was you planned to do with your time. And so that's why keeping a calendar is so important. Instead of just a to-do list, make sure that time is budgeted on your calendar. And don't beat yourself up if you don't finish the task. That's not the goal. The goal is to simply work on the task without distraction. And then you say, okay, but what if I didn't have enough time to finish? No problem. Because the way we use this technique is like a scientist, not like a drill sergeant, but like a scientist. We make a hypothesis and we say, okay, I think I need this much time to do my emails, this much time to spend with my kid, this much time to work out, whatever it might be. The next week, we're going to reassess and we're going to run another experiment and say, okay, let me give myself a little bit more time here, a little less time there so that I have my time box schedule. And then all I need to do is carry it out because for the first time, you will understand for every minute of your day, what is traction, anything on your calendar, and what is distraction, anything else. And one more point here that I think is really, really important. The reason this is so powerful is that so many of us, when we use the to-do list method as opposed to the time box method, we feel guilty while we're doing leisure. I used to do this all the time. I'd be with my kid and I'd think to myself, oh, I still have so many things on my to-do list I haven't done. Or I still have things that I need to do at work. And I feel guilty even when I want to enjoy my time and not work. In the back of my head is all the things I still haven't accomplished. And so I was degrading the joy of actually having leisure time, as opposed to when you have a time box calendar and it says time for video games, time with your kid, time to meditate, time to pray, time to whatever. That is exactly what you are supposed to be doing. And you can enjoy that time without guilt. I love that, Nair. You just liberated me from whatever guilt I had for not ever having a to-do list. Thank you, you so go. much. <laughs> That is really, really, really cool. One more question, you know, often people look at my calendar and my calendar is booked a week in advance, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., completely booked a week in advance. And they're like, what the hell, Vision? There's no space for anything. You're so busy. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? So, you know, it's interesting that everyone I spoke to who was at the C-level 
people who are really at the A game, people who are performing best in their field, they all do what you do. And everyone else I talked to who complained about how distracted they are and how they don't get things done, when I proposed this idea of time boxing, it's, oh, I don't want to be that rigid. I need time for spontaneity. I don't want to fill up every minute of my day. It turns out that what you do is a characteristic of people who are indistractable. They plan their time. Because look, think about how much effort we put into protecting our stuff. Okay. We have security systems on our homes. We have alarms on our cars. We put our money in vaults behind banks to keep our stuff safe. But when it comes to the only thing that everyone has the exact same amount of, the 24 hours in our day, how many of us just let anybody come and take whatever they want? Your boss needs something. Your kids need something. Donald Trump tweeted something. So now he needs my attention. You know, there's a reason we call it paying attention. We pay attention. It has value. It has a price. It has a cost. So we need to make sure that we protect it. And the only way to do that is to plan ahead. Now, I'm not saying that you need to plan only work-related tasks. I want you to plan time for play. Plan out turning your values into time. Let me say that again. I want you to turn your values into time. So if part of your value system is to spend time working on yourself, whether that's education, meditation, prayer, whatever it might be that's important to you, I want you to put that time on your calendar. Of course, proper sleep, proper nutrition, put that time on your calendar. If that includes time to play video games, great, put that on your calendar as well. Even if you say, look, I want this three-hour chunk of time to be spontaneous with my kid. I'm not really sure what we're going to do, but I know I'm going to spend time with my kid. I have that time on my calendar every week. The reason that time is on the calendar is because I have sanctioned it off to know what I will not be doing. I will not be checking my phone. I will not be checking work emails. I will only be with my child because I have planned ahead for that task I want to do, even if it is something fun. I love that, Nera. Thank you so much. This was such an incredibly powerful set of lessons for me, and I think for everyone else listening. So thank you so much, Nera. It was a real pleasure having you on this show. Thank you for adding so much value to our audience. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. See you soon. And this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.